what do you want to do from a career perspective long-term? How do I help you achieve your goals, whether that be short-term monetary goals or long-term career goals? How do I, as a leader, enable you to have a great day-to-day and an even better long-term? And I think if we treat ourselves as a holistic person, we treat our employees as holistic people, the corporate side gets better, we get better, and heck, maybe we'll have a, a really good life, all of us, and we can put you know, our hands in the huddle and from the team sports guy, go and win a few more games. Welcome to the Level Up Podcast. I'm John Robinson, host and creator of Level Up, the podcast for professionals. The goal of Level Up is that you listen to each episode and walk away with one to two key learnings that you can apply to your own career. In this episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with a longtime friend and fellow University of Oregon graduate, Troy Kalis. Troy has a track record of success across multiple industries, from his days at PepsiCo to his new role as VP of Team Sports at Adidas North America. Troy has experience in managing multifunctional teams across the U.S., standing up new organizations, and building teams that are insured for growth in the most challenging of environments. In his current role at Adidas, Troy and his team is responsible for authenticating the brand on and off the field. Troy, thanks for taking the time. Welcome to Level Up. Thanks, John. I'm excited to be here and get some time together. All right, Troy, let's start from the very beginning. Let's talk a little bit about your childhood, you know, your upbringing, where you're from. I grew up in a, in a small town, Klamath Falls, Oregon. It's a, you know, community that was founded on agriculture and logging, and it's only about 20,000 people. It's about 20 minutes north of the California border, so it's in Oregon, um, but definitely sits south and is, you know, a pretty conservative, quiet community. But it's also just beautiful, right? A lot of outdoor activities, hunting and fishing and just really seeing the sights. And, and that's what I think I enjoyed the most about growing up in Klamath Falls. I think it was also a little bit of the shadow that chased me and motivated me was that I didn't want to stay in Klamath, right? I didn't feel comfortable in a small town. I wanted to see more of the world. It's kind of that Mark Twain quote, right? Like, you know, get out of your little corner and go see what else is out there. And so I really wanted to spread my wings. And I think that growing up in Klamath, while it was exactly what my parents wanted, quiet, outdoorsy, great community to raise children. It was also the motivation for me to go see more. And so yeah, to your point of being competitive, I would say I would tie that with the word motivated. Um, I was just really motivated early to see what I could do to leverage both sports and scholastics to get myself out of um, Klamath. And I think, you know, school-wise, I was a good student. Um, I definitely had a high GPA. I think, you know, I got a couple uh, A minuses, B pluses kind of thing. And I messed up the whole 4.0 GPA thing, but I was pretty close. So uh, um, it got me into a a great college at Oregon and really playing sports um, was the escape, right? So I love to be competitive. I love to grind. I I think one of the things that I was taught growing up in a, a really working class family was that work ethic was such a premium 
and that if you had a strong enough work ethic, you could change whatever circumstance you you may have been in. I know your mom always joked that you were born in a three-piece suit, and I laugh when I hear that, but um, I think your family and, and your friends know you as someone that's particularly driven. But yeah, it sounds like um, growing up in a small town that really kind of motivated you to, to leave. And did you always know that you had your heart set on staying in Oregon and going to the University of Oregon? I know that you were uh, a top baseball player. It looks like you got a couple offers from um, other schools. Maybe talk a little bit about that and how you landed on U of Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I never was the best at baseball, right? But I would work really hard. And so growing up, I, I started playing baseball when I was four. Um, I played, you know, kind of the all-American kid, played every sport that I possibly could. And baseball became the one that I was pretty strong at. But I wasn't the best, you know, and, and there were some really great guys on the team. And so I just started working. And I remember my baseball coach one day uh, came up to me while we were weightlifting. And he was like, you just really improved. And I would be willing to, you know, help you get into a college and, and kind of look around. And so we did. And my peak was going to be like NAIA. I wasn't going to be like a Division One player by any means. Um, so I started looking at these small schools and uh, a couple of them showed some interest just based on, you know, again, having a pretty decent GPA, being able to play sports, willingness to kind of let me come be a part of it. And I remember in high school, I mean, it's one of my favorite moments was getting a call from a school that was willing to pay for me to fly to them. Right. Um, so it was a big moment jumping on a plane, flying out to Colorado. I got an offer to go to a school out there. And when I got back, I remember sitting down with my dad and him having a really diligent conversation with me and just saying, you know, Troy, do you want to go to college to have fun and play sports and, you know, kind of see things that way? Or do you want to go to school for an education and do you really want it to, you know, be what helps you get the career you want? And that was just a pivotal talk. And my dad was always really great in those moments. And it motivated me to go to Oregon. And the reason I went to Oregon was, you know, obviously I was accepted. It was close. There was a, a proximity piece that made it more comfortable. But more than that, at the time, I think they were the number one or number two sports business school in the country. And I think they still, you know, are in that top five echelon of sports business programs. And, you know, call it me watching Jerry Maguire one too many times or, you know, playing sports a lot. When I realized... I probably wasn't going to be a pro baseball player. Um, I really thought, well, maybe I could be the guy that would help people become pro baseball players. Uh, and so I really was like, let's go check this out. Let's go see what they've got. And I think that singular conversation and that decision to go to Oregon, probably one of the best choices I ever made. Right. I went to a, a school that was almost as big from a population standpoint as my hometown um, it had so many more opportunities. The education was fantastic. And, you know, it even led, you know, 10, 15 years later to the career that I'm in now. So I think that was a, a great talk from dad and definitely a great decision to, to kind of change things up. Tell me a little bit more about your college days at the U of O, you know, walking into classes in Eugene, you know, did you know that you wanted to major in business and, and sports management? Did you know that from day one? And also separately, were you looking into college internships while you were a student? Let's talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, I know in my head, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, right? From freshman year. And, and I think you, you know, as a close friend, know this about me. Like, I set my sights on things and I go pretty hard at it. So, day one in college, it was like, I'm going to be a sports marketing major. I need to get XYZ classes taken care of. I stacked the agenda really heavy and, and I really charged for it. I think the biggest difference was. Since it was close to home, I didn't live in the dorms. I I lived in campus apartments with some buddies from high school. I really just dove and dumped myself into uh, academics. And probably about six months in, I was just realizing I wasn't getting that college experience that I wanted. Um, So I changed it up, right? I I started talking to some other friends, some people that I met. I joined a fraternity. I started joining campus clubs. I moved out from you know, my close buddies from high school and started meeting a new group of people. And then I really just leaned into making it a holistic experience, not just making it like academics, get this done, move on to the next thing, but let's enjoy the heck out of this and really, you know, make it something that we'll remember. And I think that I had probably the best college experience I could probably have, both from the education I gained, but also the fun that I had, right? It was it was just a really great time. When it came to internships, I honestly didn't go that route. And the reason was more need-based. So <clears throat> I grew up, you know, pretty much from humble beginnings would be a, a nice way of putting it. Um, so in the summers, I would actually go work heavy bridge construction with the company that my dad was with. So my dad was a bridge builder, construction worker, finisher, um, and he would get me a job as a laborer every summer. I'd go work, you know, 50 to 70 hours a week all summer and save as much money as I could. And that made it to where when I came back to school, I had the money to, to support having that fund that we talked about. Um, and my parents would help cover the academic expenses. And that split made it to where, you know, coming out of college, I, I didn't have debt, which was just an incredible gift. But more than that, it just continued to reiterate that work ethic, that motivation. Um, while I couldn't respect more what people do when it comes to construction and bridge building and and difficult jobs like that. It was a motivator for me to really leverage that education and do something with it. And then once I I got to my senior year, I realized I, you know, had my bases covered. I was going to get through everything from a financial standpoint. And I really wanted to hone in on management training programs. And the reason that was, was the dream of being an agent as I got closer to it um, just didn't seem like my right next step. I was really good at leadership. I was, you know, president of my fraternity, president of the clubs I was on campus. I really liked leading folks. And when I heard about management training programs, really focusing corporate leadership and building a career around that, I was super intrigued. And so I started looking for those programs and that, that led to my first job out of college, which was with PepsiCo. Yeah, I love that. And I know you had a, quite the career at, at PepsiCo. Before we talk about that, though, let's let's wrap up the, the college experience at, at U of O. What advice would you say that you have to a student either coming out of high school or even just the early days of, of college? You know, a lot of people aren't blessed with necessarily knowing the field that they want to go into. And you kind of knew from day one exactly what you wanted. So what advice would you have to a student that's you know undeclared for their major or uh, interested in, in evaluating you know what line of work that that would translate to. That's a great question. I mean, like when you say what what advice would I give to a student, I think I go back to what like everyone told me too, which is 
to enjoy the ride, right? Like college is just such an incredible experience. And when you're in it, you feel that stress, right? I, I think we all remember when you're a freshman and you go to pick your courses and you just don't have, you didn't get the the selection priority to get the 10 a.m. classes so you could sleep in after a good night out. And so you're, you know, an 8 a.m. class and that was just so brutal and you're stressed out and you, you know that you got to do well in it because you want that next thing. Like, I think everyone feels those things and feels that stress and they're in that moment. And then, you know, 10, 15, 20 years goes by and you look back at it and go, man, that wasn't stress. That was just the experience of it. Right. And so I think being able to step back a little bit and just go, this is part of the ride, right? Whatever classes I get, whatever spot I get into, if I change my major a couple of times, like it's all okay. It's, it's just in that moment. I think the advice I would give is find those areas, those pockets that you really think you're good at, or you really want to dive into and spend your time. A, a person once told me when I was being mentored, you know, if you try really hard, that's something you're bad at. Let's say on a scale of one to 10, you're a five and you try really, really hard at that. You might be able to get up to being a seven, right? You're a seven out of 10 at that skill. But if you go and take something you're already at eight at and you really put your work into that and you became a nine, well, people get in line behind a nine. People really want that nine, right? And so I think finding those things you're good at, and for me, leadership became that thing. Look, I didn't become a sports agent, right? That's what I set out to do. Freshman year, I'm going to go be a sports agent. Well, I graduated and went into a management training program, and that's because I realized what I was good at, and I realized what, how that I appreciated that, enjoyed that about myself, and I really wanted to dive into it. And so I took something that, you know, maybe I gave myself an eight at, and I've been working for the last 15, 20 years to become a nine. Love that. That is, that's incredible advice. Now let's switch gears. Let's talk about PepsiCo. I remember vividly, I think it was my senior year at U of O and I walk out of Willis business complex and seeing you, um, fold out table, Pepsi gear everywhere. You were, I remember, wow, this guy is, is hustling. And this was your, your first internship, um, or your first real career. Tell me about how you started at PepsiCo, and I know you rose the ranks very quickly. Let's talk about some of the projects that you worked on and some of the challenges along the way. Yeah, Pepsi was was quite a ride. And so like the start of it was um, a typical management training program, I think. You know, you come in and, and their goal is to really educate you on the company, give you a perspective and understanding of how they go about the business, and then typically what they do is they give you about a year, two years in a frontline selling role at Pepsi. So you go out and you'd sell product. Well, for me, I was given an opportunity. They'd pick a few people a year and they'd said, we're going to have you forego that frontline experience and we're going to have you go straight into management. So when I was 22 years old, my first job out of college was actually managing 55 employees right? Wow. And most of those employees were older than me. Most of them had, you know, a lot more career and life experience than I had. And so I was really just thrown right into that leadership side. The reason you saw me on campus pouring product was the expectation from Pepsi was that not only did you sell the product and make sure that you grew the company, 
you also sold the brand. And so as a campus hire is what they call this, people that were part of this management training program hired from college campuses, you'd go back to your school and you'd try to help them recruit, right? And, you know, an easy way to get college kids is free food, and in this case, free soda. And so we'd get people over to the table and then be able to talk to them about what we were going through, right? And I, I still love that. I still love thinking back to being on campus in my early 20s and talking about how I, I love this job where straight out of college, I was managing 55 people and really cutting my teeth on leadership. And I love that, you know, you and I got to bump into each other that way. Um, but I also, you know, would say those like foundational points of knowing that not only was I doing a job, but I was expected to represent a brand really became that continuity of what Pepsi does. You know, they're they're considered what's called an academy company, right? They teach you all of the right things to do from a um, managerial leadership standpoint. And I just couldn't have been more fortunate. So to keep going on that career path, my first job, frontline merchandising manager, 55 employees going out every day and helping the team make sure that we stock shelves with PepsiCo's beverage products, right? My next couple jobs were just up the road in, in Everett, Washington. And I was able to, you know, work with sales folks. And most of them had, you know, north of 15, 20 years of sales experience. They were working with their their local businesses and national chains to sell the product. And I just learned a ton. I learned a ton about sales. I learned a ton about different techniques, managing people who had far more experience than me and knowing that I would likely learn more from them than them from me and really just taking a humble approach to leadership in that. And then continuing around the loop, I got my first GM opportunity to go run a facility out in Maui, uh, not a bad pit stop along the way. So I got to go to Hawaii and, and be a GM. And then I went down to LA and I balanced out a little bit. I had all that sales experience and I really um, wanted to, and, and the company saw an opportunity for me to get operational experience. So I was an ops manager running distribution and merchandising. And then I moved into a, a consecutive row of GM appointments. So I ran the LA Valley for a little bit. I ran uh, the San Francisco Bay Area and then most of NorCal. And then at that point, you know, based on a, a pretty strong track record and, and turning around some businesses, I was asked to move out to New York and lead strategy uh, for field sales for North America. And then I finished off at Pepsi of leading small format sales for North America as well. So just an incredible run, lots of job opportunities, titles, but more than anything, just a ton of breadth of experience of learning from other people and honing my managerial style to make sure that was impactful regardless of where I was at geographically or the type of job I had, just that it would always be effective. We want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. The Level Up podcast is sponsored by Opt Real Estate. Wherever you are in America, finding the best real estate agent can be like finding a needle in a haystack. That's why the team at Opt Real Estate has built a nationwide network of the best real estate professionals in each part of the country. And they did it the old-fashioned way by traveling, compiling market stats, and getting to know agents in all 50 states. Call today to be placed with one of America's best agents. They can be reached at 503-908-4908. 
where they could be reached at theopt.com. So I want to go back to one thing that you said, um, and I think that this was consistent in your 10 years at PepsiCo. Um, managing people that perhaps had more experience than you and were older than you. Talk a little bit about what your approach was there. Obviously, you want to be tactful, but you know I hear from a lot of successful leader, leaders earlier in their career that that can be pretty uncomfortable. So what was your approach there? Yeah, I mean, I think what I've learned over the years, John, is that you're not just a person's manager, right? At the end of the day, when a person leaves their job and they go home, the vast majority of the time, their first conversation at the dinner table with their spouse is going to be about their job. And often that person, whether it's an antagonist or protagonist, is going to be you as their leader, right? And so knowing that, I I think I just learned that I wanted to treat people as like a holistic human. I wanted to respect them. I wanted to make sure that I was doing the job stuff. What I call the job stuff is, all right, are you going to get paid on time? Are you going to feel that you had worth in the day that you uh, provided to the organization and to yourself? Are you feeling like you're growing as an individual? Are you feeling motivated? Are you able to help people? Right? There's some altruism to the work we do, whether we're you know selling soda, sneakers, t-shirts, whatever it may be that I've, I've had the pleasure of selling it's more than that to the person each day. And so that's that's a, a unifier across age, across any spectrum of what a person can be. And so knowing that, I was able to kind of get in and, and get on the human level with people and make sure that I was thinking about them more than just hitting the number, achieving the goal, uh, making sure that the sales target was achieved, and more as who is this person? What are they looking to do right now? What are their motivators? How can I enable that for them? And then as a leader, you know, I think if you were to talk to anyone I've led over the years, I'm probably the furthest thing from a micromanager. My personal belief on leadership is you understand the person, you get them the tools that they need to do their job. As a leader, especially a corporate leader, you relentlessly advocate for more time, energy, resources for that team. And then you go let them put in great work. And sure, I've had you know situations where maybe I didn't have the, the appropriate fit of a person on the team and that needed to take a different route than that. But the vast majority of the time, when you give great people resources, time, effort and energy, they go and do pretty incredible things. And, you know, I'm fortunate to say that the the great track record corporately that I've had has very little to do with my own personal skills and a lot to do with the skills that I was able to find and, and support in other people. Actually switch gears now and let's talk about Adidas. So tell us about your role at Adidas and what you do and some of the projects that you're working on. Yeah. So leaving Pepsi was a a difficult decision for me, but it was actually a really personal decision, right? So my father ended up getting very ill and I wanted to get home. And Oregon, I think is pretty well known for uh, the competitor um, to Adidas. And so I knew that this industry was something that was really strong here. I had my sports marketing degree. 
I loved the times that I got to deal with sport in my job at Pepsi. So I was able to manage some sports partnerships there. I was able to create some programming around sport there. And so I really wanted to, you know, leverage that. John, it's actually one of the most pivotal conversations I've had in my entire life was with you. Um, during that time when my dad was sick, I gave you a call and you and I were talking and you actually asked me a question that I had never thought about. So growing up from humble beginnings, always having a goal, always being super motivated and charging ahead. I just was so keenly focused on, you know, making sure I achieved that next milestone. And when I was talking to you about the situation, you said to me, Troy, what would you do if this didn't have a position of need? It was just what you wanted. What do you want? And it just made me sit back and I realized I wanted to be in sport, right? I, I've always wanted to be in sport. It always went all the way back to the beginning of the story in Klamath Falls, if you will. And so, you know, through, you know, mutual connections, you were a big help to this. We got an opportunity to interview at Adidas and things just moved quickly. And I think, you know, as listeners, you know, hear this story and go, man, this guy did a lot of different jobs and is in a cool job now. Sometimes they also just move quickly when it's right, you know, and this one was right. And I got into Adidas about five years ago. I was leading a sales channel. Some of my customers were similar to what I had at Pepsi, which was super helpful because it helped me kind of hit the ground running. I had a lot of success in my first role, you know, strong PL growth, profitability, was able to create a bit of a, a name for myself with my boss at the time. And then I took on a new opportunity to build an entirely new team. Adidas was trying to figure out how do we build our online business uh, with our wholesale partners. And so I led the digital side of that for wholesale um, for, geez, three and a half, four years. And then I just recently this year moved into a new role and it's it's the job that I dreamt of uh, taking sports marketing courses at Oregon. And what I do now is I act as the vice president of team sports for Adidas North America, which means I get the pleasure of managing the team that negotiates and, and creates the partnerships with NCAA uh, partners, with high schools and clubs, sport partners in North America and then also uh, commercializes and sells our licensed products with all leagues in North America. So all centered in sport, focused on leveraging you know, the, that skill set of, of selling and commercializing, but also creating partnerships, negotiating, and really marketing the brand. I like to say that our goal uh, is to not only authenticate our brand by making sure Adidas products are on the field and court that our athletes play on, but also um, we go from the field all the way to the fans. And that licensed product gives our fans the opportunity to represent the teams that they love and that we are so fortunate enough to partner with. That's amazing. Such a big job too. I mean, how many um, are you allowed to disclose how many schools that, that you manage? Uh, a lot. Yeah, we have a lot of schools. Um, and I would just say, John, like our biggest collegiate partners are really obvious, right? We have, you know, well over 100 collegiate partners in North America. Um, we have in the thousands of high schools uh, in North America. And our club business is just incredible as well. And so when you think of, you know, kids playing sports in the U.S. now, 
it it starts so early, right? You you start playing those peewee leagues, rec, um, you know, soccer, baseball, track when you're just a little one. And then, you know, sport in the U.S. has gotten so strong that you play all year, right? You play for your school. You also play club sports. And that progresses all the way into college. And then I think, as we all know, you know, a, a select group of folks, the, those elite 1% then go pro. And so to work for a company that really supports every facet of that, um, it's just incredible. And, you know, we you, you asked in the beginning about my upbringing and I said sport was a bit of an escape for me. I think my favorite part of working at Adidas is that our our brand vision and mission is that through sport, we have the power to change lives. And so by being really honed in on that youth athlete, um, I feel like we have this just incredible opportunity to leverage a really big brand to help kids change their lives. That's amazing. All right, let's switch gears. We've talked a lot about, you know, some of the positive things about your career. Let's talk about some of the adversity and setbacks. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, in your career, you know, you obviously had a pretty significant hot streak in the beginning, but tell us about some of the roadblocks or bumps that you experienced and how you overcame those. Yeah, I think you get to a point, especially as you get into the executive ranks, where no matter how hard you push or, you know, the results you put on the board, there's a finesse that you need to be able to navigate both politically and corporately to really progress. And when I got to Adidas, I knew how to be really, really great at Pepsi. And when I got to Adidas, I thought I could just take those skills, transfer them over and be really great at Adidas. And I was wrong. I, I jumped in and, you know, like I said, my first job, I doubled the PL in a year and grew profitability by 9%. And I was just like, there you go. Points are on the board. We're successful. Come look and see what you know, I can do as a leader and the team can do to mo be when they're motivated, right? And the next thing I knew, it was another opportunity. I'm going to get to lead this team and build something new. And I was like being rewarded for all those same behaviors. And then I got into that job and it was building something brand new. And it was in a new company. And it wasn't just about doubling the PL or increasing the profitability or showing that I could get people promoted in the corporation. It was around integrating into a large matrix company, motivating cross-functional stakeholders to buy into what I was doing. It was motivating new groups of employees who were uncertain around the vision of, of where we were going. And so I ended up being in that role quite a while. And you know me, you know that uh, maybe it's adult ADD or I just have a, a way too much personal you know, drive. <laughs> But I like to be into my next opportunity and adding value in a new way and continually elevating in a company. And so I really started to question my leadership style and what I was doing and where I was going. And while I would, you know, be vulnerable in saying I probably lost some confidence during that phase, I think what it's done coming off the backside of it is that. I needed to be humbled a bit to realize that I couldn't just take what had always worked for me and apply it and expect it to work, that I needed to take the situation that I currently had, the people that were in it, the culture of the organization, and figure out how I could confidently leverage my skill set 
but also just do it in a way that fit the organization. And the second that I started doing that at Adidas, the second I really started being more of an Adidas employee than just being Troy in my leadership style, you know, I got what I would consider a dream job. And as I sit in this job now, I find myself still needing to learn and adapt to the playing field that I'm currently on. Right. And I think, you know, that's probably sage advice for anyone who's trying to navigate large corporate careers is people are going to change. Leaders are going to change. Companies are going to change. And if you just try to maintain only what you know and you never adapt to that changing environment, you're going to probably find times in your career where you feel stagnant and you're blaming others instead of just looking at yourself and saying, oh, wow, I need to adapt a bit. I need to learn some new skill sets. I need to challenge myself in a new way. And I think, you know, as we look at the long game to this, you know, John, you and I may feel old, but we're still young. Um, I think that's I think that's a little bit of the secret sauce to a long-term career is that comfort and finding ways to motivate yourself to adapt and to change and to take on what's in front of you and not just be so focused on your goals that you can't see what's right there as an opportunity for you to get better. I love that. I think it's so easy if you've been in a role for a while to get complacent. What would you say you've done to keep things fresh or to ensure that you're constantly learning or adapting? I think, you know, I, I, I see it as an opportunity amongst so many younger professionals that I work with is that they're just focused on the next thing, right? Like, how do I get my next job? How do I get my next promotion? How do I you know, increase my current wages. Maybe I jump to another spot or I go to another place or I just get promoted as fast as I can or get on another team. And you can you can hear that spool of anxiety going, how do I get the next thing? And I think what I've learned to motivate myself is the next thing actually is, is less of a motivator for me, but the long-term thing is a huge motivator for me. And so as long as I... You know, for me, I have a personal ambition of becoming a CEO one day. And so that ambition is a guiding light towards the skill sets I need to create long term to get that job. I don't think that, you know, just because I want to be a CEO means that I'm ready. And so I sit back and I go, okay, what jobs and skill sets could I get to and really leverage long-term. So if I look at my resume right now and I go, you know what, marketing is an area that I don't have a ton of experience. And as a CEO, that's a general management position and they're gonna wanna know a little bit about everything. So how do I get a little bit more marketing experience? So I take my current job now and I go, okay, where are those mechanisms I can lean into that marketing side to really learn, to understand, to adapt, to be around people who are great at it, to absorb that available information. And by doing that, I don't need the next job. I don't need the next role. I can just take where I'm at and go, I'm building a skill set that is going to help me towards that future vision. And I think, you know, as you go, you're going to get to the goal, right? You know, John, you and I talked years ago about how I wanted to be a vice president. And now that I sit as one, I don't just sit back and go, well, I made it. I adapt those next set of goals. And so now you heard me talk about being a CEO. And when I become a CEO, my goal is going to be to talk about how I want to sit on other companies' boards or I want to consult and leverage that skill set. Because even when you reach that pinnacle of a career, 
it shouldn't stop you from trying to learn and to better yourself. And I think, you know, to avoid being even cheesy in that, it's how you maintain a long-term career and continue to create income and support your family is to stay motivated. And I think my personal motivation is constant and steady improvement. And I think if, you know, younger folks or anyone for that matter in their career can focus on that side of it versus just, you know, the, the pay increase or the next thing or the job, um, it'll just be far more satiating because you're able to just find things in your day to day that you go, that's going to help me in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the topic of goal setting, I mean, you know, you in particular, I observe in you that at any given time, you are very laser focused on what your goals are. I remember at one point, I think it was like, you know, close to new year's or just after new year's and I go, all right, what are you doing this year? And you like pull out your phone, and you have a list of all the goals, whether it's personal or professional. And I was just kind of shocked. I'm like, wow, you know your accomplishments, you know your goals, you have everything kind of mapped out. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, the, that notes app that I showed you is two reasons. Um, one is so that I hold myself accountable to my goals, right? I definitely sit down and say, where do I want to be? How do I want to drive this? And those goals, to your point, they're not just career, right? There's personal goals like fitness or health. There's goals for my marriage. There's goals for my children, all of which, you know, I, I put on myself to say, how do I show up and be the best husband and the best father and the best employee and the best leader as I can be across all facets? And I want those written down because it just holds me accountable, right? It gives me something to look back and to root in and say, are the things that I'm doing on a daily basis helping me get towards those goals? And if not, it puts me in a little bit of a, a check standpoint to say, why? Why am I doing this then? What is that motivation? Do I need to be, you know, scrolling social media right now? Or could I be addressing being a better husband or father or employee, whatever that may be? All right. We've talked about goal setting. We've talked about overcoming adversity and setbacks. Let's round it out and, you know, last final words or career advice for, for others. What would be your advice? It's a great question, John. I think probably going back to, to the piece of just not only thinking of leadership as a mechanism of treating people as a whole human, but doing the same for yourself, right? I think that you know, our jobs and, you know, as you think of Level Up as a podcast, this is a, it's a podcast for professionals is what I heard when I heard the first couple episodes. And I think when you put yourself in that mindset and you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, how do I motivate myself? How do I get to my next thing? How do I be better? How do I become more successful? How do I make more money? How do I do all of these things to be better? And I think that's such good motivation to build into being a better holistic person right? Give yourself that credit. You can build the most incredible of careers and maybe be lacking on the home front. You can build the most incredible of home front and then be maybe lacking on the career side and unable to support it. And so this is all about creating that holistic person. And if you're able to do that for yourself, you have to take that onus as a leader to do that for your people. It can't just be, let's go hit the sales number. Let's go quote unquote, build corporate culture. It has to be what's motivating you. How do you want to lead your team? 
What do you want to do from a career perspective long-term? How do I help you achieve your goals, whether that be short-term monetary goals or long-term career goals? How do I, as a leader, enable you to have a great day-to-day and an even better long-term? And I think if we treat ourselves as a holistic person, we treat our employees as holistic people, the corporate side gets better, we get better, and heck, maybe we'll have a, a really good life all of us and we can put you know our hands in the huddle and from the team sports guy go and win a few more games love that troy thank you so much for taking the time and walking us through your career there's so many gold nuggets in here and i appreciate you sharing your career that's it for this episode of level up i hope you enjoyed listening i'm your host john robinson if you could leave a rating and review for the podcast i would greatly appreciate it and always feel free to connect with me on Instagram at Level Up the Podcast. You can hear more Level Up by subscribing to Apple Podcasts or Spotify.